Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me for our weekly review of the news of the of the week, midweek edition, <laughs> John Bennett editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And guys, thanks for joining us. We're going to unpack a lot in this in this episode. The Biden impeachment inquiry, Kristen Welker's first guest on Meet the Press, the White House response to the uh, impeachment inquiry, a potential government shutdown, Romney over and out, he's out, and wants new leadership. The D.C. judge recusal request from Dear Donnie, and the court pushes back on Jack Smith getting phone records. So stick around. We'll have this and much more when we come back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me again is Michael Selden, former federal prosecutor and John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call. And in this episode of Just Asking the Press, as we unpack the weekly events, Jesus, guys, I don't know. It seems like this week just keeps rolling. I, I, I used to grind during the Trump administration, but this week's been, I don't know, uh, crazy. Let's start with the big crazy. Um, you had on Tuesday, I think it was, uh, Joe McCarthy, no, no, Kevin McCarthy, different McCarthy, different McCarthyism, uh, say they're going to have an inquiry into a possible impeachment of Joe Biden. Then he came out and tweeted or X'd or stated on social media, whatever you want to say, that uh, you know he'll go wherever the facts lead him, which prompted me to say, what facts? And then... You had 10 members of the uh, GOP themselves who said, uh, we haven't seen any facts and we don't know if any facts exist. The White House put out a statement telling us what we really should be covering, which was interesting. And uh, then, of course, uh, Lauren Boebert got kicked out of Beetlejuice because if you say Beetlejuice three times, she gets kicked out of a theater. No, I, that's something else. Anyway, uh, Matt Gates is threatening to get rid of the Speaker of the House. So Let's start with that. And I'll start with you, uh, John. What the hell? <laughs> it's, what, what, what the hell, John? On <laughs> <It's> the... <laughs> the impeachment inquiry? Yeah, that, yeah. The hell that we're speaking of? Yeah, that's the hell um, we're speaking of. It hasn't even started yet. Um, <laughs> and it already kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Um, yeah, McCarthy, uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, had leaked to some of his favorite uh, outlets, insidery type outlets that this was coming this week. Uh, and then, you know, th that appeared in, in some Tuesday morning editions of various newsletters and things. And then um, at 1015, an announcement came that McCarthy had a special announcement at 11 o'clock. Kind of out of nowhere, uh, he announced that he would be directing and he does have the power as speaker to forego a floor vote to formally bless an impeachment inquiry and just tell the committees to start one. Uh, now, of course, uh, hypocrisy alert. If we had a, an alarm uh, sounder, we could play it now. Uh, in, <laughs> da, da, da. 2019, in 2019, then major minority leader, excuse me, minority leader McCarthy criticized then Speaker Nancy Pelosi for doing the same thing. She, for, she skipped the floor vote 
and just ordered um, committees that Democrats were in charge of at the time to launch the first impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. That was, of course, of course, his now infamous phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. The perfect, the perfect phone call. And, right. And and McCarthy said it was it was unjust and um, you know questioned if if she as speaker had the power to to skip that vote um, and of course now there's no vote in sight um, he didn't say anything about a vote he still hasn't said anything about a vote over 24 hours later and oh by the way House Republicans can't even approve the rule dictating how they would manage the once considered must pass defense appropriations bill so if they can't agree on something that is usually a must-pass bill they're probably not going to get agreement on um uh, whether to trigger an impeachment trial in the senate of president biden because oh by the way the moderates aren't comfortable with this they've said for months they don't quite see the evidence that rises to the level of impeachment and oh, by the way, some of the conservatives aren't on board with this because they see uh, Speaker McCarthy. And, and you know, I, I, I see we don't say this a lot here, but I see where they're coming from on this one. The If you parse their statements, they can't tell if McCarthy's trying to distract them into voting for some kind of spending deal or deals because they're going to need a temporary one before they get a permanent one for the rest of the fiscal year or if he's trying to bribe them into voting for uh these spending packages and so far they're they're not all of them aren't on board he doesn't have the moderates so you know unless they found a trove of emails where hunter biden was using his father's name and they found bank transactions where um the then vice president biden was was benefiting or if they obtained somehow got uh obama administration email traffic or text messages or documents that showed the big guy that was then vice president biden was trying to influence president obama and his top aides to change some kind of policies that would have helped hunter's business dealings they're not then house republicans don't have the votes to impeach uh this president and trigger a senate trial so every just about everyone in Washington, and there's no answer to this other than McCarthy is trying trying some kind of dance that he might not even understand to keep the government open and keep his gavel. But everyone's asking the question, "What is McCarthy doing?" Well, and that's no a good the answer, and I'm not sure the speaker has the answer. I'm not sure he does either. I'm going to read this uh, tweet you you talked about it earlier, Kevin McCarthy. Here are the facts. One, Speaker Pelosi can't decide on impeachment unilaterally. It requires a full vote of the House of Representatives. Two, the House has voted three times on articles of impeachment. Each vote failed. Three, for Dems, this is all about politics, not about facts. So today, it looks like, Michael, we've got the GOP playing politics. Footloose and fancy free with the wonderful articles of impeachment. Well, so the... Problem here is, in some sense, the debasement of the impeachment remedy. Yes. In reality, impeachment was a nuclear option for unique circumstances where a president engaged in high crimes or misdemeanors um, or violated, you know, sort of serious uh, federal law, not for political, ideological differences. And so you saw a failed impeachment of Andrew Johnson. That was about a fight between congressional Republicans and Andrew Johnson over Reconstruction policy. And it properly failed because it was just a political disagreement. And you saw Richard Nixon, who would have been impeached and would have been convicted and removed because of serious violations of criminal law. Then you get to the Trump impeachments. I didn't like the first one. Well, the, let's talk about Clinton, too. I mean, that was high crimes and misdemeanors was simply a, an act of fellatio or lying about that. Well, it was lying in a grand jury. It's a little yeah. bit closer. It's a little bit closer for me. But um, 
in respect of the Trump ones, I never liked the Ukraine impeachment. I didn't think it was um, that which should have been undertaken. And January 6th, I think, was um, worthy of it. But the problem is, is that because these things were rushed along without, on the Democrat side, a proper vote and without uh, full due process in the House Judiciary Committee, what they've done is, you know, essentially made their own bed and um, set a precedent for this type of impeachment that's founded on no real factual predicate, but rather a political, you know, sort of disagreement. Uh, and it's bad for the country. You know, whether you think Biden is a good president or a bad president or Trump was a good or bad president, impeachment is an important remedy to, to keep, you know, pure for the appropriate use. And so shame on, I think, uh, the Democrats for the first impeachment of Trump, shame on McCarthy for uh, thinking about this impeachment. When you get to the facts of this impeachment, what's a bit confounding, <laughs> what's, a, what's a bit confounding is that I always thought of impeachment as you're impeaching someone for committing high crimes and misdemeanor uh, in, in office, that they violated the their, their sacred oath of office um, by doing um, impeachable offenses. What I can gather from the evidence, and it's really pretty sparse, is they're still mostly complaining about uh, Hunter Biden and Burisma and whether or not former Vice President Biden knew something about it. Um, and it doesn't seem to me that that's the sort of thing that would get current president uh, Biden impeached because it's not activity that occurred in the office, which meets the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, they say that he was, he's been stonewalling a congressional investigation uh, and that he may have um, engaged in political interference with uh, special prosecutor Weiss. Those are not impeachable. Even if true, yeah. those are not impeachable offenses. One of the allegations is that Joe Biden may have changed his story about um, his knowledge of, of some, some past events. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but that is not a high crime and misdemeanor uh, that the founders the had in mind. politician changes his story? Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> we gotta, we've got to tear up page one. I'm glad one, you boy. said it. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. That's a belt-high fastball. Yeah. So I guess, Brian, the bottom line is I think the Democrats in, in, can't deflect completely. They they in some sense set a bad precedent, I think, in the first um impeachment of, of Trump. And now we're seeing, you know, it come home to roost. The difference, of course, is that it was an arguable case that what Trump did in that phone call with Zelensky, pressuring him to announce that he was engaging in an investigation of his um, rival uh, Biden for the presidency in exchange for military aid was a lot closer than whether or not Joe Biden may have changed his story about his knowledge of his son's business dealings with Burisma, um, you know, six, six years ago. So even if you say uh, both processes were flawed and should have been rethought. Clearly, the facts of Trump won are more, way more serious than this um, allegation against um, President Biden. So, you know, a pox on everyone's house. And if they would just get down to doing their job, return to regular order, vote uh, on uh, amendments to whatever they want to amend or laws that they want to pass one by one so that we can have them accountable for their votes. I think the, our democracy would be a lot better off than it is right now. So um, you want to say this or me, John, I'm going to go what, do their job. When has Congress done that? That's not, not, not the last, not, I mean, not for a while. But, you know, one of the things that came out of this was the the White House response to it, there was a put out like this dossier of two or three pages of what we really should be covering. And I got to tell you, I, and then, of course, Biden came out 
later on Wednesday night and said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I don't know quite why, but they just knew they wanted to impeach me. Now, best I can tell, they want to impeach me because they want to shut down the government, Biden said. Well, all of that aside, with that dossier that they put out about what we should be covering, I will just say to this White House, I only wish you were that communicative to us about the stuff that you've done instead of about the stuff that you think the Republicans have done and what we should be doing. Because they spent so much time on that one particular document. And I got to tell you, it's a well-researched document with comments from 10 or 12 yep. Republicans with uh, background on, on the impeachment, mm -hmm. on how it affects well, what will be done, blah, blah, blah. But they don't do that for something simple like, say, I don't know, the infrastructure bill that they spent yeah. so much time on. John? Yeah, I thought it was a very well put together document. It's one of the most, I think, impressive pieces of of outreach. And, and I wrote this. Number one, I'm glad Michael said everything that he said, because that's what I wrote in uh, in, in a newsletter this <laughs> afternoon. So I was you were channeling your inner, inner Michael Zeldin. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned from, uh, from my Obi-Wan. <laughs> and uh uh yeah the the document i was i was pretty impressed so I, I wrote about it as my lead item in my newsletter um you know they don't as i said two things stood out about that document the memo and there was an an, an appendix with a lot of detail number one um i think it's effective how the white house is trying to use house republicans own words against them you know, you can deny and say this didn't happen, but when you've got the chairman, chairmen, plural, of these committees and other members of the committees that have been involved in these investigations, because they've been doing this since they got organized and got started earlier this year. So this is, you know, seven, six, seven months old. They're already down this road. Uh, McCarthy just has impeachment will help him unlock some more investigatory powers, get more documents, more bank records, phone records, etc. Um, so they're, they're six months down the road already, and you've got members of the committee and the chair people saying things like, well, we don't have it yet, or we don't have this piece, or or we haven't connected those dots, but we think, but we've got this guy, but somebody told us, somebody whispered to our friend who told our cousin, um, <laughs> but they haven't actually connected those dots, and, and they've admitted a lot of that. Um, they're addicted to television hits. They love to talk to guys and gals like me in the hallways on Capitol Hill and they can't resist and right. they've made all these statements that they they don't well we don't have this record but we heard about this transaction i heard mccarthy i think mccarthy it, it was during his announcement on tuesday morning he even said that well uh with hunter's uh business dealings u.s banks flagged you know over 10 transactions as unusual well okay uh, tell me more and if you can get the records and if they show uh, wrongdoing mean? or if they showed then Vice President Biden getting paid as a result of something, um, well, I'm listening, but we haven't seen that. And they're not saying they have it. They're saying they've heard about it. And guess what? I got a text message from my bank. And I traveled international recently and they sent me a text and said, hey, this is unusual. Was this you? So it's not unusual. This is what banks do. They take this stuff very seriously now because of identity theft and other things. Um, but do do I think that some of what Hunter Biden was doing was wrong? Well, he's about to be indicted. So yeah, but yeah. You, got, you have to show us, you have to show the people, the American people, that then Vice President Biden, or maybe once Biden got, Joe got out of the vice presidency, that he somehow benefited from all this financially or otherwise. And they simply, if they have it, they're not showing it. And I got to think they don't have it. But you know, the thing about that is that would, um, again, if he benefited before he was president from something, yeah, um, and it's within the statute of limitations, that could be a prosecutable crime. Although mm. you can't prosecute the president while he's in office. But I just keep missing the connection to how this prior yeah. activity when he was vice president or when he was a private citizen um, becomes an impeachable offense when impeachability seems to be, uh, you know, sort of crimes committed during the tenure that one holds office principally. I mean, maybe there are exceptions where it, it occurred before or after and it's somehow affecting his job. But principally, I think Americans understand it to be 
a violation of their oath that politicians um, get impeached for. And it's a political act, not a not a it, it, not a process. I mean, I mean, it's not criminal. It's political. Well, so yeah, it has and, to be and, something to do with politics while he was in office. To your point, well, I mean, and I suppose the question is, if we took a vote among the three of us, is trading on the name of your elected official family member good or bad? I think we get three bad votes. Yeah. Um, is it uh, normative? Absolutely. I mean, and you can look at um, Jared Kushner as yes, exhibit thank one. You. How how does how does a person with his track record in investing get a two billion dollar um, Saudi deal um, the day he walks out of the office, whatever it was? It doesn't seem anything normal to me. Especially, I think when I read that the the investment board the people that gave the money uh, voted against it, um, that he wasn't the person to give their $2 billion to, but it somehow got overruled. Gee, hmm. I wonder why. I wonder, wonder how. <laughs> now, before we go to break, the last thing, you know, it was something that Biden mentioned in his statement was uh, they just want to do it to shut down government. And we've talked about this a couple of times here. And John, I, it, it looks to me like Man, we're we're headed towards a government shutdown this fall. Yes, I keep telling folks uh, when they ask, of course, uh, that I at this point I don't see in this double negative alert. It's, um, I don't I see don't how the see government. It. I don't see how the government doesn't shut down at least once. The, the problem with it shutting down is the same problem with. Later this year, I, they may be able to cobble the votes together and McCarthy hold them off uh, to come for his job if he passes, you know, a three or four week continuing resolution, which is what uh, some of his allies are talking about today. But that doesn't solve the problem when they get around to full year appropriations um, and, and, and the spending levels in there. It's the same thing with the government shutting down. It's the same deal to reopen it because you're not going to probably reopen it with another short term deal. You're going to do the whole shebang bang as Dave Chappelle would say. Um, and, and I don't see how he has the votes unless he goes to the Democrats to get them. If he goes to the Democrats to get the votes, then the conservatives like Matt Gates, uh, Mr. Rosendale and others, uh, you know, they're, probably, they're probably going to come for the gavel. And then, you know, who knows what happens if, 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 if the motion to vacate passes, because, and here's one of the problems with the impeachment inquiry. Democrats might have been willing to play ball with McCarthy on a motion to vacate, meaning vote with McCarthy. Well, right. now where's the incentive? They don't like government shutdowns, but I think they would at least let uh, Speaker McCarthy twist in the wind for, you know, f however many ballots as we would move into a speaker's race. And if McCarthy was back on the ballot, if he's nominated, then let him twist in the wind for 2025 uh, <laughs> votes before Democrats would, would put him back in the speaker's office. And, but then Gates and Rosendale and they'd be the next, it'd be the NDAA. They would come at him because the conference committee is going to strip out all those conservative uh, amendments that they want on the house floor and the compromise version is not going to have most of that, if any of that in it. So it's just one thing after another this fall and winter where McCarthy's job is in real peril, but also the government could shut down once, twice. Why not go for the hat trick? And <laughs> shut down three times. Michael, what do you think? We're going to shut down, baby? <laughs> it sure looks like it, you know, unless there's some last minute deal. This is where they're headed, and it's one of these things where they should be calling Newt Gingrich to see how did that work out last time <laughs> around. Um, I, I think people just don't want this, and when it's a you know sort of a, a political ploy, uh, it, it even is you know sort of worse of a um, stain on the House majority, and you know if they do it. All I can hope is that one, it's short-lived, and two, that whoever is responsible for it is held accountable for it. Because 
I think it all. Yeah. We've gotten to a point. I mean, we've really gotten to a point with some of these House members and some of these Senate members, like Tuberville, Senator from Alabama, holding up military appointments and, and prom promotions for reasons that are inexplicable. And now you have a possible government shutdown for reasons that are also inexplicable when you look at the playing field from the 20 yard line to the 20 yard line. You, you cut out the, the people from the end zone to the 20 yard line on each end. You have a possible governing uh, majority within, within those 20 yard lines and uh, yet they're held hostage to the the extremists and i think people are tired of it at least i would hope that they're tired of it yeah i i and it, going in a break i'll leave it this way i believe and it was said today that all of this you know the impeachment inquiry the government shutdown could back it probably will backfire fire on the gop and hurt them in the 2024 election but i'll remind everyone who's behind all of this and that's donald trump and we'll talk more about that when we come back Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Questions, our weekly Just Ask the Press roundup of the news. And doing a rare midweek roundup this week. And we have uh, with us, as always, Michael Zeldin and, and John Bennett. And Michael, I'm going to start with you on this one. <laughs> We're switching gears a little bit to talk about uh, one thing that I really am tired of talking about, Donald Trump. But his, his people motioned this week that they want uh, the D.C. Judge Chutkin to re uh, recuse herself in the um, case in D.C. Can you unpack that one for us? Oh, it's very simple to unpack. They're afraid of Judge Chutkin and that she actually may force this case to go to trial in a timely way with evidence uh, that is relevant to the determination of guilt or innocence. And so they're trying everything they can to get out from under her in the hopes that if she's gone, maybe when the, the wheel is spun, they get a judge that's more favorable to them. It's, it's you know, pretty bold forum, you know, judge shopping, and uh, hopefully they they don't win. If they were interested... Well, what's the... Well, let me ask you about that. So she's given them until the 14th, right? That's uh, tomorrow as we speak. Given them uh, the um, prosecution until the 14th to respond, and then she'll make... She rules and it will be her decision or can they appeal it? What will what will happen? Well, um, she will decide whether she has a conflict. And if she uses the standard that the Supreme Court uses for conflicts, then she's home free. Because <laughs> they haven't seen a conflict yet. Yeah, um, that's right. Conflict? What conflict? <laughs> uh, but um, I think that um, she won't recuse herself, and I don't think there's a basis for uh, recusal. And the irony, of course, is can they appeal it? You know, it's a good question, Brian. That I don't, I don't know the answer to. I wouldn't think so, but I, I just don't, I just don't know. Okay. Someone, someone smarter is going to have to, or better research is going to have to to look that up. I don't think it's a final order that's immediately appealable. But the thing that's, you know, sort of clear about this is that they're not interested in a fair and neutral judge. They want a judge who's, uh, you know, predetermined in their favor. Yeah, because if they were interested in a fair and neutral judge, someone who didn't show any prior disposition in, in their favor, they'd move to um, recuse Judge Cannon because she was rebuked by the 11th Circuit for uh, a decision that was blatantly favorable for, for um, former President Trump, and yet they're quite happy to have her stay on, notwithstanding 
her political pre, you know, what appears to be her political predisposition. So it's just judge shopping and, and ju people do that. When I was a public defender, the way it worked in the DC Superior Court is they had the judges in court for like three month rotation and then it would rotate and they go to someplace else. And if you had a, a sort of a liberal sentencer and then you saw the announcement of who's going to replace that judge and it was a more uh, draconian sentencer, you'd quickly go to your client and say, now is the time to plead. <laughs> you know? Or vice versa, just let's wait it out. Let's wait it out. You know, we'll get good, you know storm clouds are, are receding and there's good news on there. So people do that. I don't say that that's- Yeah, he's, know, not, he's not doing that. Yeah. Right. But but you have to understand that that's, that's what this is. It's just judge shopping in the hopes that they get lucky and get, you know- uh, uh, an Eileen Cannon type judge <laughs> on the, that, that, that of which there are a few on the uh, DC uh, district court. And John, nothing like this would surprise any of us who's ever covered Donald Trump. It's no, this is just more of the, you know, the, the longstanding tactic of trying to discredit and delay. And he's trying to discredit the judge and delay, um, what a lot of people think is his uh, inevitable fate, which is conviction in in this case and, prob and probably others. And perhaps the P word uh, um, or, you know, maybe some kind of arrangement where he gets out of politics and um, plays golf and uh, kind of sticks to his resorts for the rest of his his natural life. Um, but there's also a good chance that uh, the delay the delaying works and um, he's he's back in the White House by the time any of this gets sorted out. And then, boy, I don't think anybody knows what happens next. Yeah, I don't. I, I still think that my, my you know, I have it in my mind's eye. I see him being sentenced to prison. They're not going to put him in a prison. They can't put him in a, a normal prison because of who he is. And, you know, it'd be like the John Dean thing where he's put on a, a military base somewhere. But I, I have the idea that he could be sentenced to Alcatraz since the federal government already owns it. He'll be the only guy living there. They'll charge 20 bucks. You can go in and see him behind his cage and wave at him. But that will just, uh, you know, wishful thinking. Anyway, so, but the other thing I wanted to unpack that happened this week was, um, and, and you can help me out here, Michael, the um, USA Today reported that uh, the court has pushed back on Jack Smith getting some phone records from, um, Scott Perry, does is that a major does that have a major impact on the case? I don't think so. What's at issue here is the the government seized uh, Representative Perry's cell phone as part of their efforts to investigate the 2020 um, big lie, and um, the district court judge ruled that some could be released and others couldn't be released of these cell phone records. And many of them had to do with communications between Perry and the White House. And Bar Beryl Howell, the judge, said that some could and some couldn't, as I just said. Um, and he, Perry, appealed and the district court, the circuit court, the three-judge panel, ruled that the judge, the district court judge, didn't apply the correct legal standard under the speech and debate clause and that they should uh it should be revisited now i tend to think that judges in criminal cases don't let too much politics interfere with their decision making and we haven't seen a lot of evidence that trump appointed judges rule in favor of trump on criminal law matters even the supreme court has right. rejected many of trump's um, petitions it's more cultural matters that the politics of, of judges come to apply. But just for the record, um, this three-judge panel, two of them were appointed by Trump and one by George H.W. Bush. So there may have been um, an analysis that was you know, sort of more consistent with their politics than not. But as I say, I, I tend not to believe that. And really, I think what this is, is what is the legal standard by which a prosecutor can seize the cell phone of a, a Congress member who's communicating uh, with the White House or with the candidate uh, uh, for the presidency. And I think they just have to rebrief it and 
argue it and see what can be released. But Perry wasn't charged with a crime, right? To recollection, and so I don't think it's going to impact um, the overall 2020 election interference prosecution uh, very much. And then, so uh, Perry, for Scott Perry, who people don't remember, he's the head of the House Freedom Caucus, called the FBI seizure of his phone. Banana Republic tactics when he announced the search in August of 2022. There's no doubt that even if it doesn't criminal, it doesn't affect a criminal case into Donald Trump much. John, they're going to make political hay out of this as much as possible, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I was thinking uh, when I saw your rundown for this, uh, Brian, that the one of the uh, one of the big problems, I think, for for the Trump team is he wants to run his own legal defense, like a political campaign. And now that may get, that'll definitely get him the nomination, I think. And um, it may even get him back in the white house, but it's, it does. I don't think it's going to help him get, I don't know. It's not going to help him get any innocent verdicts. Um, yeah. It might win the court of public opinion, but it, you know, these judges so far, they're not impressed by any of this. And they right. make that clear over and over, uh, but that it's just how he thinks. You know, he, everything is political. Um, he hasn't deviated a lot from that 2016 uh, playbook. Now that cost him in 2020. Um, you know, he didn't learn uh, impeachment in a way. The fact that he was acquitted in the Senate trials, um, you know, I think you can draw a straight line to everything that happened after the 2020 election before January 6th, he just, it emboldened him and it really intensified this feeling that he can get away with just about anything. I mean, this is the guy that said he could shoot someone on fifth Avenue in New York city and, you know, he wouldn't lose any political supporters. Well, he hasn't lost many of them because remember he got more, he got more votes last time than he did in 2026. And there's a good chance. There's a good chance. He might, he might not win, you know, he could lose and get more votes than he did in 2020. Yeah. So, you know, but again, but that again, it, none of that matters in these courtrooms. And I still don't think Donald Trump computes that. No, no, I, I agree. And I think everything that we've talked about so far, the impeachment inquiry that was done at the behest of Donald Trump, that's all about trying to get him, uh, you know, you know, equal, uh, criminal criminality in the eyes of the electorate hey he's a crook i'm a crook but i'm your better crook vote for me i mean but they're all we're all crooks yeah we're all crooks but i'm yeah. an honest crook vote me back into office that's all this is that's all that is but there is something this week that uh happened politically that does point to uh maybe a change of heart or at least a and someone who's who wants a change in dc and that's Mitt Romney, who's saying, hey, I'm over and out. I'm too old. We need younger leadership. I'm gone. And he criticized both Trump and Biden for being uh, too old for the job and not addressing the needs of the electorate. So, John, I'll let you unpack that particular bit of news. You've covered Romney as I have. Yeah, sure. I actually talked to Senator Romney about this last week when I was on the Hill um the context was uh, there was a republican house primary out there uh, last tuesday and at the time when i talked to romney on wednesday afternoon um it, w it was still too close to call ap had not called the race uh, they did later in the day uh but i asked him just you know because that's while the while the trump aligned uh candidate ended up winning the primary the trump critic the more, you know, the more Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, John Boehner type Republican candidate or Mitt Romney type Republican candidate was very competitive. It, it, the, the, the eventual winner of the primary didn't win by very much, just enough to not have a runoff. Uh, and I asked Romney, does that make you any more inclined to run? Do you see a path in Utah where you could, you know, get the nomination and then and then and then win reelection? He didn't say yes. He didn't. He didn't also say no. But he just said, he, and I thought it was telling. He said, "Well, if I decide to run, I'll win." And I thought, well, Mitt. I thought to myself, I didn't say this, of course. Um, it's it's a little late in the game here, bud. <laughs> so if you're gonna run, um, you're gonna have to make these decisions because elections aren't cheap. 
So you got to start raising money at some point and doing all the things that, you know, building a, a campaign organization back in your state, you got to do all that stuff. And I just thought, well, if he hasn't decided, is he really going to run? So I wasn't that surprised uh, when he announced today that, that he's going to retire. You know, he's, he said, and he's, he's right. It's a six year term in the Senate. He would have been 86 at the end of what would be, what would have been a second term. And as you said, he criticized uh, Biden and Trump. I one thing that was interesting is, you know, he talked about climate change and he's not a climate denier um, like a lot of his Republican colleagues. He said that Trump says it's a hoax and Biden has only uh, proposed feel good policies that that won't help with the problem at all. And that was just one example that he gave. Um um, there was either in a statement or he, he talked to reporters that, and, uh, late, spending late, federal discretionary spending. Right. I believe. Yeah. He talked right. about it. Right. And, neither and so one of them are, have attacked it. Yeah. And I would urge everyone, there's an Atlantic article by uh, McKay Coppins who did a number of interviews uh, months and months with Romney uh, in the evenings after work. And I believe he's turning that into a book, but he's written a piece for the Atlantic and you get a real sense of Romney's frustration uh, especially with his Republican colleagues, you know, he he told uh, Mr. Coppins that most of his, if not all of his Senate Republican colleagues uh, thought Trump was, shall we say, not very intelligent and not fit for office, but they felt they had to go along with him in public to keep their jobs. And, you know, Romney says that weirdly in the Senate, um, there is this this notion that uh, job security is more important than anything and that being a senator maybe for life um, is, is the most important thing. And, and just, you know, he gets in and you don't have to be an insider to pick up on this, but he, he, he does tell some anecdotes about, you know, people agreeing on, on things behind closed doors and then not being able to come together when it's time to write a bill because, they feel, you know, they'll be punished by the voters or donors or Donald Trump, for that matter. And 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 that's one reason he's walking away now, not just his age. You know, he said he's not calling on Mitch McConnell, um, who's a few years older than Romney, to step down. And, of course, we've seen him freeze up in public a few times recently because, you know, Romney says, well, Mitch can still get things done as leader that, you know, I'm still kind of a backbencher around here. I can't get anything done and I'm you know, approaching 80. So it's time for me to step, step aside. Um, I'll let our listeners decide how they feel about that statement. Um, but, you know, Romney is one of these guys who will reach across the aisle. He's a former governor. He's done a lot of things in his professional career where he's had to compromise. Um, you know, he was involved in the, in, in the recent uh, gun legislation uh, the, some of the spending things that, that have passed, uh, the infrastructure he was involved in and, and some other things. So, you know, he has that gene and this is yet another person who feels that gene is somewhat useless in Washington. And that just makes things like we were just talking about with this likely government shutdown. It just makes more shutdowns more likely. It just makes the defense bill not passing for the first time, maybe in 63 years, the defense policy bill more likely nothing gets done on him. You know, I was talking to senators from both parties last week, at least in the Senate, they want to do something on border security, but they, the Republicans don't trust the white house who don't trust the Democrats. And I don't think anybody in the Senate right now trusts the house to send them anything that the Senate could pass. So when you start taking the Mitt Romney's away and the Bob Corkers and the Jeff flakes are already gone, it, it's yeah. just, you know, you, you don't see how they're going to get much of anything done. Hey, Michael, do you were you surprised by Rodney, uh, Rodney Romney retiring? And do you think that uh, he's right about uh, the age of our two presidential candidates? Well, I think that he is right about the age of half of the Senate. That they're all, um, it's it's time in the words of JFK, to pass the torch to a generation of new leadership. We really have come to that point. Our level of partisan disagreement and uh, mistrust of one another just prevents us from functioning as we 
would hope to as a representative democracy. And so I think it really is time for many people, for um, the Grassleys and the McConnells and the Trumps and the Bidens and the um, other uh, A.D. Feinstein and others to, to step aside. It's time. These, these positions really shouldn't be lifetime uh, positions. It just doesn't lend itself to you know, a robust, democratic, inclusive process. So I think he's right about that. Was I surprised that he quit? No, because, I mean, this is a guy who comes out of Bain Capital. He he founded a business where they made decisions and they acted um, on the basis of those decisions. And he's, a you know, an action-oriented person. And I think he feels very much stymied um, by the partisanship in the in in Congress, and I just don't think he's happy, and he's gonna who could find be? himself at age seventy six uh, doing something that he thinks is more rewarding. He'll probably go on the speaking circuit and speak to young people about the important importance of engagement. He'll probably write a a book, and I think he'll probably try to do good as he as he sees it. But I think he thinks that there are better ways to spend uh, his time than. In the, in the dysfunction of the United States Congress. And that's a wonderful way to stop, to, to go to break, the dysfunction of the United States Congress. And next. So we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we have a little bit more to unpack and a little bit of fun to be had. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Today, uh, the uh, weekly roundup of Just Ask the Press, we're asking, well, we've unpacked quite a bit. The last thing I want to talk about is something that's strictly press related. This Sunday, Kristen Welker will take over uh, Meet the Press. In her maiden voyage of Meet the Press, her first guest is going to be none other than Donald Trump who's going to be on, you know, will be interviewed by Welker on Meet the Press Sunday. John, the, uh, th I'll start with you as, I mean, you and I both know Kristen pretty well. What do you think of this uh, choice by the uh, people at NBC to host and have Donald Trump? I know there are plenty of people angry about giving him any kind of time on the air at all. Well, I, I believe I read recently that one of the um, complaints from corner offices at 30 Rockefeller Center in New York and NBC headquarters where the ratings uh, for Meet the Press had dipped. So if you want to improve your ratings, Donald Trump is certainly <laughs> the guest to have. Now, the problem with that is, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you boost your ratings for show number one, then the execs are going to be expecting the same for show number two. You don't get... You know, you don't it's not like your golf game. It's not judged on a handicap in this business. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's a bit of a risk there, um, you know, that 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 the execs are going to expect whatever rating she gets uh, for the Trump interview, impressions on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're going to expect that every time. Uh, so, you know, but that's a danger in this business for any of us who would get Trump on the phone or 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 score an interview with him uh at the same time you know i don't i'm i don't know if if they asked uh, to get president biden and and it didn't work out or they couldn't negotiate the terms of an interview um i'm sure that'll come out in the next few days um at the same time she she has performed well when she's done uh when she's moderated debates uh when i've seen her do interviews you know she 
Um, I don't think she's as uh, as stringent an interviewer as, say, Margaret Brennan, who hosts um, uh, Face the Nation on CBS on Sunday mornings. Uh, but I think uh, Kristen is a, you know, she is a good interviewer, a tough interviewer. She's going to be prepared. She knows Trump well. She was there. We both know she was there all four years. She oh, was yeah. on the campaign trail uh, both times with Trump, I believe. So, you know, she knows her interviewee as well as we do, probably uh, probably better than me, and she's going to be prepared. And when interview when interviewers are prepared with Trump, he can get rattled and he can, uh, you know, go off script or may say uh, probably what his law, he may say Sunday or whenever they tape it, uh, things that his lawyers think are a little too far that he shouldn't say. Uh, she may, you know, she, I have seen her, we've both seen her rattle Trump in pool sprays and press conferences. So there is a history here. Uh, you know, it ain't Caitlin Collins. It ain't Jim Acosta, but she she knows how to do it, and she does it very professionally, very very surgically. Um, he's going to make a ton of news because he's Donald Trump, but I want to see if she can get him you know, to maybe admit a few more things, and I say more things because he's, <laughs> they're not saying he didn't do any of this, his, his lawyers or just himself. Saying that he could do it. <laughs> he's just saying that he could do it, or it's, you know, I keep saying they're almost arguing that some of the laws are illegal. <laughs> so right. I think I think she'll press him on that. Um, you know, I see both sides of this argument and I was just looking on social media and she's getting a lot of criticism for this and NBC too. Um, but he's also the Republican front runner for the for their that party's nomination. He's the former and, president. He has 91 right. felony I I you know, but there's that I don't too. know if I would have him on my show because I would get in an argument with him five minutes into it and want to beat him about the face and hands. However, you, get, you, you gotta you would take get, the interview. <laughs> yeah, you gotta take the interview. I mean, I wouldn't turn it down. And you know, Brian, if you got him on your show, you'd get you'd get, you know, two hundred and fifty percent more downloads. So of <laughs> yeah, course you right. of yeah. course you would. Well, we'll see. I, I, I just don't like listening to him. You you playboy, go away, don't want to talk. You know, I'm I'm but anyway, Michael, you think that she should have him on Meet the Press or not? Well, I I think it's fine. I wish she would invite Mehdi Hassan um to be her co um questioner, someone who really knows how to <clears throat> interrogate a person like Trump who, you know, sort of floods the interview with uh lots of um BS and doesn't give the questioner an opportunity to really drill down and hold him accountable for. Um, the, well, I'd like it if she didn't like Brian Karam to do that, but let's... you don't work for NBC and, and Mehdi does. Um, so, you know, we'll see if, if, if she can hold a constructive interview with him and not have it turn into one of his sort of infomercials then, um, you know, I've got no problem with it. I think that as a fairness doctrine um, supporter, I would have Biden next week um, because this is essentially a candidate running for political office and she's giving him uh, free news time. And so yeah. I think fairness requires that 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 they they do the same because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, what Trump has to say is less important than what Biden has to say. Biden actually shapes the the, the course of the, the direction of the country directly. Trump is an outside adjutant, and maybe he directs the way in which the Republican Party acts, but he's not the president of the United States. And so it seems to me, if I were choosing, I'd go with the current president of the United States and not the uh, former adjutant president of the United States. But thankfully, I don't run a news station. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I did send a, a letter to the White House or email to the White House and to Corrine asking, uh, were they asked? Uh, were, was Biden given the opportunity to be the first guest or did they just take Trump because they love the ratings? I got to tell you, I if 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 the White House turned it down, that's one thing. If NBC went after Trump first, simply for the ratings, that's completely 
that's something completely different. And well, that that would concern me. Yeah, can I add um a quick thing to what Michael said? I I agree with with most of what he said, but you know, it's one thing to ask the White House, it's another thing that they want to do it or they they view it or the president views it in his interest to do a Sunday morning sit down. He hasn't done a lot of those. No. So, you know, it could well be the case that they asked and the White House said thanks but no thanks. Um, and, and, and I would so like to hear that. Like I said, that is yeah. that is that is the tale of the tape. No, if they the, haven't. They haven't been very things. interested. They they have not been very interested in these one on one sit downs. That, that's just no. that's not part of their communication strategy at all. Well, I haven't seen a communication strategy at all. And I believe the last. Sorry. Sorry, Brian. The last time the president did one, he went in studio with Nicole Wallace. And as she was trying to get to the commercial break, the president wandered off. So it's not like they go well when he does them. Well, we'll see. That's but I if it if the White House turned it down, that says something about the White House. If NBC yeah, reached yeah. out to Trump first, that says something about NBC. Um, Donald Trump will say whatever he wants to about Donald Trump. That's the way that goes. So uh, it's, listen, I. <laughs> I'll, Michael, I'll let you have the closing comment on that issue, if you like. I really have no no more to say. About <laughs> yeah. that. You know, they made a decision. It probably isn't a decision driven by economics, and you know that's what they're in the business of. They're they're uh, a business that that survives on ratings and ad um, pricing and that's 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 their choice and you know it's not the choice i think i would have made as we as we discussed but there are way more important things to discuss so for example yes Bob dylan released a new album um uh, so does the stones album. yeah cool. well dylan's is actually good um, <laughs> it's called uh it's called shadow kingdom it's uh album uh, that's largely acoustic um and it's also a film and to john bennett i know what is really important is aaron Rodgers plays three plays and then is gone for the rest of the season and do the jets stay with zach wilson or do they go talk to um colt mccoy or tom brady or somebody <laughs> else <laughs> But you know they they would have to give up a third or fourth rounder to get a quality backup. I'm not saying they won't do it because they did spend a lot of cash in the off season and a lot of high draft picks. They think they have a uh, you know a competitive roster. And hey, without Aaron Rodgers and the Buffalo Bills did not play their A or B game Monday night, they beat the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, who who were in the I believe in the AFC cha or, or close last year. They were in the AFC championship recently um, and they're picked to be a contender again. So, you know, that defense looks really strong. Now, if it's on the field constantly because Mr. Wilson Your offense is terrible. Yeah. So if the defense is on the field, you know, that increases uh, mistakes are going to be made. They get tired. It also increases injury risk for the defensive players. And, you know, you look up and you got. Uh, you got two XFL guys starting on <laughs> defense in week 15 and you missed the playoffs. So that's how these things go. Um, I would be making calls if I were the Jets. I mean, oh, I'm sure they are making calls. You might as well go for it. You know, the back up here in Washington, Jacoby Brissett, you know, his name's at the top of the list. You know, and if you're the commanders, why not pick up another third or fourth round pick? Those guys make Brett Favre's free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, third or fourth rounders make the team usually yeah. a lot of times. You know, those they become special teams guys or key backups or hell, draft a draft a kicker. Why not? Well, look, I'll yeah, tell look, you. I mean, isn't isn't the isn't the last guy picked starting for the San Francisco 49ers um at yeah. quarterback and, and well has that not was, lost a game since he's been in? That was last Brady's. That was Brady's background. Bart Starr was a 15. They don't even go 15 rounds in the draft anymore. Sometimes, you know, he was a 15 round draft pick. Now he's, you know, Hall of Famer with the first quarterback to win two Super Bowls back to back. So, yeah, that's 
you could be, but to Aaron Rodgers, the point about that is a, I don't think he'll ever suit up again and play another down. That's an Achilles. That's, that's a very bad injury. And, and he'll yeah, be lucky he'll, if he doesn't limp the rest of his life. He'll be uh, 40 in a few months. And that rehab yeah. is no piece of cake. No, that's a year rehab easy. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to get serious about it and if you want to walk in your latter years and there's some kind of, po- I mean, I saw all kinds of postings on, you know, social media and God knows I don't want anybody to get hurt in football. I, I played it and coached it and the, the injuries can be very devastating to you physically. And they, they stay with you, as you know, John, because you played years later, I still have knees that look at me and go, what are we doing? But to, to, that, to that point, you know, he was, you know, I saw the social media postings about, I wonder if he's going to go to Joe Rogan and get a second opinion. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been a diva for the last two or three years solid. And I am actually happy that we won't have to hear from him or hear about him for this entire football season. I'll be happy that that, I, but I, I wish him well. I hope he, I, I'm not wishing any worse injury than he got, but it is kind of poetic <laughs> in some well, way. Why not? What about former App State quarterback Chase Bryce? I believe he signed in the CFL. Why not give uh, let Chase cook? Why not bring Chase in yeah. and give him a tryout? Oh, what about that guy from San Francisco that took a knee? Hmm. <laughs> you, you know, RG, Robert Griffin III had an interesting take on this. He's on ESPN now, and one of his fellow panelists on a, probably an eight-person screaming panel asked him if he was interested in the Jets job, and he – said it wouldn't make any sense to bring someone like himself or Mr. Kaepernick in. Yeah. And he said a lot, he said some general managers or coaches had told him over the years, we'd like to give you a look, but you'd be, it would be too much of a distraction. And we don't want to do that right now. You know, you know, and these were in cases of injury, just like this, where teams were still competitive with the backup, um, but they were looking around and, and he said, that's a, that's a, a common thing. Uh, for those guys, uh, just too controversial. Yeah, like I said, Brett Favre's free. Give him this. <laughs> Where's Vinny Testaverde? Yeah, right. Joe Namath, Joe Willie. That's he's in his eighties. He can still throw. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I so that's that's a pretty good one, uh, Michael. I'll I'll I'll. But uh, Hackney Diamond. That's what I call it. Oh no, no, wait a minute. That's the Rolling Stones' new ver- new. Uh, <clears throat> album hackney diamond and i i think that's what it is hackney diamonds yeah <laughs> you know they 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 have had some really good songs that uh jagger and richards have written but i have to say as i look back and i listen to their stuff i still find i listen much more to their early blues cover stuff yeah the first 12 by 5 december's children um yeah. uh the the Beggar's Banquet, those, those, you know, their rendition of Prodigal Son, all those songs, I think, are are just brilliant. And I well, that's think, how they started as a blues cover yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, and I and I, I still like that stuff. Although I do like um, many of their their other songs, but as we've said many bef- many times before, Brian, they ain't the Beatles. They ain't the Beatles, baby. No. <laughs> But, and, and and for John's generation, they're not ACDC or. <laughs> Were you a uh, hair band? Did you like the hair bands, John? I got a kick out of the hair bands. I still do. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've said it before. I was I, Guns N' Roses. I mean, if they had just had, you know, more than one decent album, uh, we'd <laughs> still be talking about those guys. But they didn't. So we're not. There you, there you so, go. Listening audience, have a listen to Shadow Kingdom. By Bob Dylan and write Brian letters and let him know what you think. <laughs> there you go, and we'll and we'll we'll talk about them next week. So, uh, John, we'll close up. Where can we, I'll give you a chance to plug? Oh yeah, rollcall.com. Most Fridays, a weekly column, a CQ afternoon briefing at CQ.com. Subscribe today. <laughs> and Michael, the podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book based podcast. And I'll just give you a sense of the the scope of what I do. Yesterday, I interviewed Heather Cox Richardson on our state of democracy. And in two weeks' time, I interviewed David Zucker 
Jim Abrahams and Jerry Zucker, the writers of Airplane, the movie, <laughs> talk, about, talk about how that movie got made. So we're going to have Defending Our Democracy from Authoritarianism in one week and three weeks later, the making of Airplane. And then I guess the, in the intervening weeks, lots of stuff in between those bookends. And that sounds like a lot of fun. This is Just Ask the Question. That's the podcast. The name of the book is Free the Press. Now it's a third printing and can always catch me on C, uh, I was going to go CQ Roll Call. My God, I'm having a senior moment. Salon.com every Thursday with a column on the White House. I am Brian Karam. I'm your host of Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.